0: You are listening to the Selby is Godcast with Zach Meisel and TJ Zupi. Fly ball, deep right field. Ben Spencer at the warning track, at the wall. That's good, that's good, that's good. Subscribe to Selby is Godcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Unbelievable. What is up everybody? Welcome to a brand new week and it is a free edition of the Selvia's Godcast. on TJ Zuppi. That guy over there is Zach Meisel. And thank you for finding us on Apple Podcasts, Google, Stitcher, Spotify. Thank you to everyone that joined us at, over at Patreon last week as we did our latest edition of a Patreon hangout, which is always a ton of fun. So if you'd like to be part of future hangouts where we get together and just talk, any topic you guys want to discuss is on the table. We're willing to do that. Patreon.com slash Selby is Godcast, where you can sign up for the low price of one additional episode, especially during the season when we're pumping those out every week. One additional episode for a dollar. What is up, Zach?
1: Pitchers and catchers report
0: <laughs> in a week. Yeah. You excited? Yeah, super excited. Wait a minute. <laughs> you, you almost got me there. Seems unlikely. Yeah, I think that's that's fair. I don't think that's going to be, I mean, the optimism that I had uh, a few weeks ago when it seemed like eh, maybe they're kind of speaking the same language, like the the really gigantic thoughts and ideas seem to be waning as you were actually discussing real legitimate things that could take place. And as that happened, I was like, OK, maybe I could see this maybe being a, a scenario where we, where we don't see anything meaningfully lost. I don't know if we're, if we're that optimistic. At this point, it seems like a lot of uh, trying to save face and appearing to be as uh, strong and willing to stick to your guns as possible. And what's your take?
1: Yeah, I mean, you've got, you've got people from the outside, like, begging to help mediate. <laughs> <laughs> like, these, this couple is, like, teetering on the brink of divorce, and all the kids in the family are just begging them, get in a room and figure <laughs> it out. And they're just like, No! And then they said, "Oh well, maybe maybe our friends can help us and stage an intervention." And the other spouse rejected that idea. And no one even really knows what they're arguing about at any point now. It's like, are, are, is the is the core of the argument about whether you need mediation, or is it about arbitration and salary caps and that stuff? Um, I, I, we, I've totally this thing is off the rails, right? It's it seems doomed. I mean, like spring training is not starting in a week and the closer we get here to March, I mean, opening day is going to be in jeopardy pretty soon. So I'm not sure where this is going to go, but things are going to have to heat up here pretty soon. And we're going to have to get some answers. I just want to like, can I book spring training at any point here? Like what, how is this going to work? I'm just so in the state of purgatory. It's, it's the weirdest thing.
0: Yeah there's always that period initially in a uh, conversation or a negotiation where everyone comes to the table and they're, they're, they're pretty strong about it. They're not going to give in to anybody. And and that's just what you expect initially in in any negotiation. And then inevitably, as time goes on, you, you realize where you can give where you're going to stand firm. And I thought there was a lot of that early. And it seemed like maybe you were trending toward getting to a point where it's like, okay, well, as much as we would like exhibit a of what we would like, as much as we would like that, uh, well, we're probably going to have to give on give in on that because we all want the season to start on time. There hasn't been as much of that here recently. It's it's still a lot of trying to position the other guys being the bad guy. And it's like, yeah, I mean, fight for what you can fight for and stand firm on that. But also, it's going to be tough to win anybody over to any side of the argument as regular season games start to be held in in question. So... I mean, it, it's working still for now. I don't know what the, the temperature is of fans. I, I, would, I would guess it's probably more toward the players at this point as far as if someone had to choose a side on which side they, they prefer more. But as time goes on, both sides are going to appear to be the bad guy, and everyone's going to say, well, okay, let's just get on the same page and play baseball, damn it. That's all I care about.
1: Yeah, I think that's that's the key. Is the longer it drags out, the less the public gives a shit about who's right and who's wrong.
0: Right, that's when it starts to wanna impact see games, you. They
1: want to see action. Exactly. yeah yep. So, I, and and it's it's tiring talking about it too. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't think anyone wants to hear us break down litigation and negotiations and stuff like that. So, um, it's it's exhausting. It's tired. And I wish we had other things to talk about. We do have other things to talk about, but I wish we had actual, new, fresh, updated things to talk
0: about. Yeah, I don't know what you're talking about because we actually do have things to discuss. And it came from one of your, your subscribers, I believe, over at The Athletic that threw you this question, which was fascinating. And I know you, you answered it in your mailbag, but it deserves some more time. Let's spend some time talking about... Yeah, because I didn't answer it like I wanted to. <laughs> the future. I hate my answer. <laughs> Isn't that always how it goes on this show? We just talk in circles and arrive at no answer whatsoever because nobody ever has a clear, definite answer. That's just how this works.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, so, so the question was, take your best shot at predicting the 2024 lineup for the Guardians. Do you think they'll still be the Guardians in 2024? <laughs>
0: Where where are they playing, and what is their team name? I think we've got those both settled, haven't we? Isn't that what this entire offseason was about prior to the the lockout here? (laughs) We're not doing that again. It was. Well, yeah, so
1: pretty simple. Simple prompt. Guess the 24, 24 lineup, but it's not a simple answer. Are you sure? So my answer was out there. So why don't you take me through your thought process?
0: Well, you could, I mean... It's fun to go position by position. But I'll tell you, the first thing that, that kind of struck me is that you can project someone in the system at every spot and it not feel drastically terrible. <laughs> it doesn't feel mm-hmm. awful.
1: Like you're not forcing yeah, it. Yeah,
0: so you can do that. And of course, other entities do it where they project three, four, five years down. The, and it's funny to look at years into the future and say, they thought that guy was going to be in left field. That's hilarious. Um, and, of course, you have to try to project in your own maybe extensions or, or free agent acquisitions. But as I looked at this, you really could just go forward and plug in someone from the minor leagues and look at that position and say, you know what, that wouldn't be so bad to see what that guy had at that spot. Now, as we know, prospects just, they don't pan out like that. They they don't just, there's no linear path onto success and you can just say, "Oh, well, he was really good in the minor leagues, so he's going to be tremendous and you can just plug him in and, and go from there. But I think that was the first thing that really stood out to me, is that in years past you might have to say, ah, well, they would have to go get a free agent to fill in this spot. You would need to go trade for somebody to go play third base or first base. I mean, yeah, ideally you would like to go get more proven depth and make the the younger guys fight for it. But looking into the future two years into the future, two seasons into the future, so the third season into the future, I can go to the minor leagues and plug somebody in at every spot. Either they're currently on the team or they will be in the major leagues very soon and not feel awful about it. Were you the same way?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's a young roster, right? So like Framel Reyes and Miles Straw are still gonna be under team control by that point. So I think you can pencil them in. That was sort of my first mean. step. Who on the major league roster Man, you know. is still going to be in the running based on team control? You know, I think the main thing, the first thing you got to do, well, Josh Naylor can fit into that too, but that's a later discussion. First thing you have to do is figure out what you think is going to happen with Jose Ramirez. And my first sentence after including him in my lineup was, I have doubts that this is going to be the case. <laughs> Um, I don't know. There's a lot of uncertainty about how ownership thought process might change with a new minority owner in the fold and an exit strategy for Dolan. We don't know the answer to that, so it's possible that they're they have more tolerance for risk and are okay keeping Ramirez in the fold and maybe. Maybe the the rebrand plays a role in that. Obviously, the payroll can't get much lower than it is. I think it's at like $46 once you add in all the arbitration estimations. That's even lower than it was last year. And they've said, hey, it's going to go up. It's not going to go down. Anyway, so it's possible that he gets an extension. He's still here in 2024. But that, whether or not he's in your lineup, dictates maybe Gabriel Arias. It dictates whether... Andres Jimenez is in there. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, where Nolan Jones is playing. A lot of uh, dominoes Mm -hmm. sort of hinging on whether you've got Ramirez in
0: there. Well, let's just go position by position. Let's do that first. We'll start with the, the most important position on the field because they're involved in every single play. At least maybe that's how the organization would look at this position defensively, the catcher's spot. Is there any reason why you would be Penciling in anybody other than the duo that they have currently in the minor leagues in La and Bo Naylor?
1: Yeah, because you're afraid Bo Naylor just can't hit. Um, I think there's some concerns there. I think in an ideal world for them, that's their duo. And La can offer more with the bat. Naylor offers more behind the plate. But you still have to be able to hit in the majors. Um, so I, I think there are some questions there. I don't think that's a certainty, but I think that in this exercise, that seems like the safest answer.
0: I'll push back by saying they haven't gotten any offense out of that position currently. I mean, even when they were going to the World Series, there were concerns about where they're going to get offense at catcher, and outside of that one really good Roberto Perez year, they've got next to nothing, if not less than nothing from their catches offensively. So am I to believe that La and Naylor could be so much worse that they would have to go in a different direction? They've already lived with some pretty bad offense there as it is.
1: Yeah, but Gomes and Perez and Hedges were all elite defenders, and I don't know that we know yet that Naylor can be that. So I I guess my point is it's just – that, I mean, that was my answer, those two, but that's far from bulletproof. I mean, would it be the craziest thing in the world if they like traded for Sean Murphy of the Athletics, who I think has three or four years of control left and is pretty good offensively and defensively? Like, I wouldn't be stunned by something like that. Um, if they maybe they just don't maybe they reach a point where they're just like, you know what, we don't know if Naylor can be the guy. And Lavastita is maybe better as catcher slash first base slash DH type.
0: It's a perfect match in that they're a perfect pl- platoon pair as you look at Lavastita and Naylor. And I I, I love the, the left-handed hitting catchers because it makes it a perfect platoon option where you can keep one guy fresh behind the plate. He plays, a different guy plays against lefties. But as you said, Naylor's got a hit.
1: Yeah, so... It's, I mean, we start there, and it's like, that's supposed to be the easy one, and it's not so easy, right? Yeah, I mean, that's... So why don't we move to first sure. base?
0: I'm penciling it in. It doesn't get easier. I'm penciling in. The hell. I'm sharpieing in Josh Naylor. Wow. I think Josh Naylor is the first baseman for the next several years. And I, I wish he... That was my answer. I, I wish he would have had a normal, healthy offseason to be able to, to, to go through normal development that he should be going through at his age. Unfortunately, he's having to spend more time just being healthy and prepared to be on the field. I don't know what he can do as far as hitting drills and how long he's going to be behind whenever there is a spring training. But as far as projecting years into the future, I still feel like the floor is safe enough where he's going to be above league average in the bat. And a lot of projection systems would agree with that. I think he's he's a guy that you want to hold on to for the next several years. And his best position is at first base. You got to get him out of the outfield.
1: Yeah, I mean, that that was my answer as well. I think he's, it it was unfair to him, sort of what we witnessed. I mean, his, his production before he got injured was sort of uncharacteristic in that he was just swinging at everything and not making great contact all the time. And if you looked in the minors, I mean, this was a guy who walked as often as he struck out. And you were kind of waiting for the power to arrive. And that was like the last piece of the puzzle. And he didn't really look like that sort of hitter in the majors before he got hurt. So you wonder, you know, did he just need that experience? Get it out of the way. New team, new league, etc. Also playing outfield, which I know he had done. But you mentioned it. first base is his original position and seems more equipped to to land there. I just the question is how do you come to that that decision? How do you reach that conclusion? Cuz I would think Bobby Bradley would have a leg up going into a spring training competition. But like if Naylor is out of this world, I mean maybe he starts in the outfield, but I guess I just wonder you know what does what does Bobby Bradley's future look like? Like, how do you get to the point where you say, okay, Naylor's our first baseman, and then Bobby Bradley... Like, Naylor can play multiple positions, right? Bradley can't. So he's either first base or he's he's out of here. And I just wonder what sort of leash he has, and if Bradley does win the first base job in spring training, where does that leave Naylor and Jones? But that's also a separate discussion, because it's I'm talking about 2022, and yeah. this is a 2024 prompt. So I guess at some point, they'll get to that conclusion and Naylor will be the first baseman and Bradley will be somewhere else
0: yeah, I, I just have a little bit <laughs> and I'll probably have gray hair <laughs> a little bit more bl- hair at all is all, also a positive no matter how far you project into the future um, I just think that that makes the most sense there and, and of the two I still believe in, in Naylor's ceiling a little bit more than I, I believe in Bradley's can, can Bradley hit 25 home runs in a season yeah is he going to be doing it with a 290 on base percentage I don't know you have to worry about the total offensive package. And maybe they'd be similar. Maybe they would. Um, so you have to question, you know, what's most important. You might have a, a guy, two guys that get to league average offensive production, but how they get there can matter too, depending on your, your offensive makeup and also what you value. Seems like this team is really valuing guys that put the ball in play. That's more Naylor than it is Bobby Bradley, but we'll see. Uh, second base, Tyler Freeman. Is it that easy?
1: No, just because to get to Freeman, you have to go through... I mean, I think second base and shortstop are codependent. Um, So you're going to have to go through Rosario and Jimenez, and then you're going to have to cycle through Arias at some point, and then land on Freeman as your second baseman. I don't know how you get there. Uh, there has to be a trade at some point. This is a lot of <laughs> players, and it's inefficient, and you're not capitalizing on all the value in your system by just having all these guys fighting for a spot. So yeah, I think Freeman makes sense. Um, but I also think it depends on if they lock into someone they want in a trade and that team thinks Tyler Freeman is the next, I don't know, it was a Paul Molitor. Then you trade Freeman. If, If that other team prefers Arias, then you trade out, You know what I mean? So it depends on how their value, their internal rankings of these guys aligns with what other teams, who they value. So it's impossible to know how this shakes out. And I, I, I just, I'll harp on it until I lose my voice. But like I don't know how you're going to fairly evaluate Jimenez and Arias this year knowing you better get a pretty good idea of what they're capable of because Freeman's going to be ready in the blink of an eye. And then Rokio going to be ready and Tana's is behind him. And it's just, it just goes on and on. So I put Freeman. Um, I think he's a high floor, low ceiling type of guy. We've seen these types in the majors. I mean, Nick Madrigal, a recent one with, with the white Sox, Now with the Cubs guy, who's going to hit for high average, steal some bases, and it depends if, if you can add 10 to 15 home runs, you become a super valuable player. If, if not, your value is a little limited, but it's still a nice guy to have near the top of the order. I mean, Freeman does not strike out, um, tons of contact, steals bases. So he's a good player. Sure, you'd be totally fine with him at second base, but it's just, how do you get there?
0: And how much do I project it in considering this is a 2024 lineup? I don't care about this year. I don't care about next year. I'm just looking at the end result. Who's going to be playing second base? And I think in in terms of young players they have within the system and what makes the most sense, sense fit-wise, I think Freeman fits the best there. You know, I struggled with which of the middle infielders goes over to third base, which of the middle infielders stays at second base, who plays shortstop. For Freeman, you know, is there concerns about arm strength? Could he play a third base? Is that even important? You know, Jose Ramirez doesn't have the strongest of arms, but he plays a capable third base. Sometimes accuracy is important, too. So I don't know exactly who's playing what position, but if Tyler Freeman's in the organization, Tyler Freeman's going to be playing somewhere. The question I have, and we'll get to this later on in the outfield, how many guys can you have in a lineup, even if they're really good offensive players, how many lineup spots can you have where you have no power at all? They're doing that right now with Miles Straw, and... I'm in Rosario to an extent, though I, I think he could probably hit for a little bit more power Catcher. than what they have now. Right. So if you have a Freeman in this 2024 lineup that we're dreaming about, how many more spots can you have a, a guy that doesn't hit for any power? I think that's something you consider when you're putting your lineup together and you're thinking about who stays and who goes. So is Miles Straw still part of this team? Well, we'll get to center field in a minute. But that's something I have to consider. Would I want another lineup spot that doesn't provide me any power? Now doubles, are, doubles, and triples are extra base hits too, but we're still talking about guys that hit the ball over the fence. There's a more, there's more value, or at least a more perceived value from guys that are able to do that, even on a semi-consistent basis.
1: Yeah, I think Freeman has more pop than Straw, but I'm with I. I understand if you're looking at a lineup, and you've got. Freeman hitting first and then Bo Naylor's eighth and Miles Straw ninth. You know, that's if a pitcher has to face those three guys in succession, you're not worried about the ball leaving the ballpark. And that makes, that gives the pitcher an advantage. So I hear you there. Um, Freeman, you're right. He seems like the one guy like Arias could end up at shortstop or third, or I don't know, maybe even like a corner outfield spot. Um Rokio probably seems like a shortstop, but, but like Freeman seems like a second baseman. I think that's maybe the easiest conclusion to draw.
0: Just looking in the minor leagues right now for, for Tyler Freeman, highest ISO he's ever run, and that's isolated power. Just looking at your ability to hit for doubles, triples, and home runs. Guys that aren't, like him, would be a perfect example. Some guys can, can prop their slugging percentage up with a high batting average and a lot of singles. Which hey, the singles is getting on base too. That's not saying that don't appreciate that. But as you're looking at minor league isolated power, it can maybe project forward and see what you can get out of guys like that. So for him, his his career high was in 2018 with a 159. You're you're hoping to maybe get to 200 to see a guy that can hit maybe get to double digit home runs in the in the major leagues. Uh, it doesn't seem like that's that sort of guy for him. Not saying a guy can't add power later because certainly. We've seen Jose Ramirez and Francisco Lindor do it. You can optimize where you hit your fly balls and and add some power that way. But in the minor leagues, it's I mean, home run outputs by stop. Two, two, three, none in 2019, two last year. It's going to be doubles and triples. Again, I'm not saying there's nothing there, but it's something to consider. All right, let's look at shortstop. I wrote down Brian Rocchio without hesitation. I I didn't stop myself at all. So did I just seems like he, yeah. among the guys that are in the minor leagues that could pop potentially to, to be star-level players, he seems pretty high on that list. Him and Valera are like neck and neck in that category for me.
1: He has the highest ceiling. I hate just comparing everything he does to Francisco Lindor, but in terms of jersey number, switch hitting ability, swing, um, it's, it, there are a lot of comparisons that are valid. I don't know that he's as gifted, um, but yeah, I think he's probably the favorite, but again, and I don't want to sound like a broken record. I Because when I composed this lineup, I have Freeman at second and Rocchio at short. And then I got to the end. I was like, wait, so this is two years where they're getting rid of, I mean, I'm at Rosario only has two years of team control left. So conceivably he could play that out and then leave as a free agent. But where is Jimenez, who in 2024 will only be 24, 25 years old? Where is Arias, same age? Um, so I don't, I don't know the answer to that because the other part of the equation is, well, if those guys aren't part of this lineup, and by the way, Chang, Miller, Ernie Clement, um, at the very least, you've got utility infielder options there. So I don't think you would need Arias. It would be a waste to have Arias or Jimenez on your bench, right? At least at this point, knowing what we know about them now. So you would think, in this scenario, I'm trading Arias or Jimenez. Or I'm projecting the Guardian's will. But I don't have whoever they're getting in that trade isn't in my lineup either. Because I have no idea how other teams value those people. And... I mean, I, I would think you could get a decent amount for just those two. So you would think somewhere in my lineup should be a yeah Austin Meadows or a Jesse
0: Winker or something like that. But it's hey, they could have traded for it's impossible to know. They could have traded for Winker and then he left. He's got two years of control. This is twenty twenty four.
1: Yeah, I don't. So uh, it's it's tough. And and you wouldn't be selling high on Jimenez. You might be with Arias. Um, so Jimenez might not make sense as a trade candidate right now. So this is this exercise is just cruel <laughs> because it's 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 so difficult. Because I'm with you, I think Rokio is is the favorite to be the shortstop, but you have to think about what is the path to that, and it definitely means a trade, and a trade probably means there's going to be an outfielder in there somewhere who maybe isn't on the roster
0: now. Hmm. Well, well, we'll see in a minute, uh, and as far as the. I have a feeling I know what you're going to do. <laughs> yeah, I bet you do. Uh, as far as the Lindor-Rocchio comparisons that are inevitable, it's not just me. I mean, I don't like doing it either because putting that sort of of, of ex- expectation on a young player is ridiculous. I mean, we just this past week or a couple of weeks ago, we were debating whether or not Francisco Lindor could get on a Hall of Fame path. Not only was he good, I mean, he came up and you had a certain level of expectation, but then he developed into being an all-star and one of the many faces of baseball. (laughs) I'm not saying Rokio is any of those things, but it's not me, just me. It's not just you. I've read some other prospect evaluators. It might even have been Keith Law, (laughs) who apologized for making the comparison, but said that there are some, some similarities, I guess, between those two. And if you look at their minor league numbers and the ages at which they're doing it, and I think that's really important, especially for Rocchio. There are some similarities there. In this organization, if nothing else, we know what type of hitters they value. And they do have some success with creating more offensively out of guys with that sort of profile. Ramirez, Lindor, and maybe in the future with some other guys. So there is a path forward for him being a legitimate star. And I think it's, a, it, it's not, you can never say that's the most likely of outcomes, but it is certainly an attainable one.
1: Yeah. So what- the thing you, you touched on, it, but Lindor superseded any expectation anyone ever had for him. I mean, no one figured he'd be a 35 home run guy. So even if you compare, you're comparing Rokio, the minor leaguer, to Lindor, the minor leaguer, I think that's fair because you're not just assuming Rokio is going to make that same leap and turn into a guy who's going to eventually earn. 35 million dollars
0: a year <laughs> or we'll be looking to to have trade discussions about in the fair near by 2024 we'll already be <laughs> discussing right Rokio, where he's going to be headed at the end of his uh, his tenure in Cleveland that's how this goes well if that's his first
1: full season in the majors <laughs> I think like 2027 okay. 2028 right.
0: we'll be in the thick of Bieber well, no wait Bieber already have left he'll have been traded what oh, yeah. what'd you do with third base? I'm anticipating that you just extended Jose Ramirez. You took the easy way out. Well, I
1: say it's the easy way out, but I don't know that the the owner of the team would agree with that. I I did because think about it, the drop off from Ramirez to so if it wasn't Ramirez, it would probably be Gabriel Arias at third, maybe Nolan Jones. But again, like what are you? Where are you playing all these infielders? The drop off from I think Arias can be a solid major leaguer, but the drop off from Ramirez is pretty significant and i don't think the goal is to just keep the payroll at 46 million dollars for eternity um i mean it's it's pathetic and it's i think it's like on par with what the payroll was 20 years ago i think like 2001 um and we know that things are a little like inflation exists so yeah
0: i i I understand here on the selby is god (laughs) cast
1: if I understand how a team like this typically operates, like Tampa would trade Jose Ramirez without question. Oakland would trade Jose Ramirez without question. But with the new minority owner, I mean, they, they, it would only take your payroll up to, I mean, he's already making 12 million this year. So let's say you came to an agreement where he makes 25 million a year. Payroll would still be like 58 to 60 million. Like that would still be at the bottom of the list. So you can do that, and because the rest of your roster is so young, it doesn't really hurt you. So even if he does tail off toward the end, I mean they they've shown they have no problem trading anyone else who makes money. So I I just I, I think the conditions are there for it to happen if if they are committed to to having a bigger payroll because you have a new minority owner and it's it's there's less risk involved for Dolan. Um he's not gonna be around at the end of that contract. So I don't know. It makes a lot of sense to me, but this is predicting what we think yeah. reality will be in two years and it's probably I mean I, I we have every reason to be skeptical. Yeah. Um I just I also think, you know, you trade if you trade him you have to trade him now, don't you? But that there, there isn't really a trade that exists that makes sense for them. Your 40-man roster is full. You have 50,000 middle infield prospects and starting pitching depth. I mean, what do you, your, your rotation is super young. Your lineup is already young. What are you going to add? What are you going to trade him for? So to me, it makes sense to just extend him. And if I was going to put in Arias as my third baseman in 2024 or something... Then I've got to explain what happens with Jose Ramirez, and I couldn't. I couldn't do that. I couldn't come to some conclusion that made more sense than just giving him an extension.
0: You're making tons and tons of sense. I just
1: good because it doesn't sound that way when I hear it.
0: <laughs> I just can't, in good faith, say that that is the likely outcome here. That we just have too much past experience to draw from, and that's saying that. What happened in the past means it's going to happen in the future. Things change. Ownership changes. Uh, the dynamic of that could completely shift everything we know about this organization. But we're not there yet. And I, and I can't project that without knowing more about the type of, of ownership dynamic that it will be in the next few years. So knowing that, I can't put him into the long-term plans. I can't see it. But the thing is, as you said before, if you envision these trades happening— they have to be for meaningful players, even if it's not Ramirez. If it's another one of the, the middle infield types that we spent so much time talking about, if they trade one of those players, and I don't know who they'd be getting back. So I don't know who I would plug in. If they traded Ramirez, somebody that they acquire is going to be somewhere in this list. It's not, it's not going to be a bunch of uh, single-A guys that you're not going to be seeing for five years. They're going to be getting back at least somebody that's impacting 2024, and if they don't, what the hell happened? But at the same time, I can't see them um, just letting him walk at the end of, of 2023 and them getting nothing. I just don't think that's the the MO of this organization either. So I don't put him in. I don't plug him in as the third baseman in this exercise. But I also don't know what to do. <laughs> like, what, how did he leave? I I don't know. And I just got to operate with what I know about what the organization is now. So he's not the third baseman, and as much as I struggled with it, I had to find somewhere to put Arias. I don't think he's a perfect fit at third base. I think he's a tremendous fit at shortstop because if the numbers are hovering around uh, league average at shortstop and he's playing a tremendous defensive shortstop, that's much more value than him playing a really good third base, but the numbers are hovering around league average. I don't feel great about it, but that's who I got. So
1: when you're... In your scenario, do they trade Ramirez after twenty twenty two? Cause didn't shouldn't they have learned their lesson with Lindor? You gotta trade these people with two years left and but not one.
0: If you if you know realistically that the best chance is him not going, not re-signing with your organization, like you don't have any legitimate thought of doing that, then you would have to trade him right now. You would have to, and I would capitalize right. on a team like Toronto. But that's a team like Toronto that. Yep. you could build up this tremendous infield, and then really sell them on. Not that anyone really needs talked into acquiring Jose Ramirez, but I think you could probably pry more from them than you could or other organizations because they're right at that point where they acquiring a Jose Ramirez makes them a legitimate World Series contender. But I don't. I don't know how I would. I would. I don't know how I'd forecast that into to 2024. But
1: the problem is because I did this exercise with our Blue Jays writer Caitlin McGrath. And the offer she proposed was Jordan Groshans, who's a well-regarded third-base prospect. Lourdes Gurriel Jr., who has two years of team control left. Pretty productive outfielder. And Alejandro Kirk, the catching prospect, who not much of a defender, but good bat. There might have been one other smaller piece involved. I think Kevin Biggio. Yeah. Yeah. So what does that accomplish? It gives you another infield prospect, gives you a third catching prospect who has flaws, gives you an outfielder who can help for two years at a low cost, but it doesn't solve the timeline issues here. Um, So I I don't know if there's much benefit to that. And also, if you're trading
0: Ramirez, what are you doing with Bieber? Isn't it the same question? Yeah, one of those guys needs to be extended, right? You can't... You can't go through this and extend nobody and never increase the payroll. There, there is absolutely room, even if you want to org- operate your organization similar to what they've done now, where you flip guys sooner than, than when their end of their, uh, end of their service time is with your organization, and you're always trying to be forward-thinking on that, isn't there always room for at least one franchise star that can be locked up for multiple years? The answer is yes, by the way. There's no other alternative here. The answer is clearly the Rays. yes. Yeah. I mean, the Rays just signed.
1: I know Wander Franco has only played in the majors for five minutes, but they've already identified that he's that guy. And, yeah, he signed what will probably look like below market in a few years, but would they give him 11 years or something for $200 million to, or thereabouts? Got to commit to somebody. Uh, we haven't seen Cleveland do anything like that. I mean, they have. The Rays do
0: so, ac- yeah, I mean, occasionally sign guys. This is why guys. you
1: tear this is why you tear the payroll down to $46 million. It's so you have the flexibility to do that.
0: Yeah. It doesn't make any sense why you wouldn't. Um, And again, everything you said earlier about the Ramirez extension and why it makes sense. It's a hundred percent spot on. I just, I can't operate that way. I can't say that that's what they're going to do because we just don't, what do we have to say that we know that they're going to do that? Nothing. I mean, and they have extended players in the past, but, it's always the past Ramirez extension. It's never the second one. How often is that the case for this team? Very, very rarely. I mean. is, is there a secondary extension? Carlos Carrasco <laughs> this is the most recent one mm-hmm. I can think of. The secondary extension guy. And that was only because he wanted to sign a team-friendly deal. It's not because they were going to step up and pay him what he was worth at the time.
1: So you just have Jose Ramirez in purgatory... <laughs> and they don't acquire anyone for him. He's a, so Arius yeah. is your third base floating around.
0: Seems like a waste of like resources. Superman two in a cube just locked away. Um, I don't. I, again, I don't know what to do with it. But I, I don't think he's part of the organization. However, they got there, I don't know. But I don't. I can't project him in to be part of it. So I have Arius there. You know, I, I thought maybe, maybe you would go Nolan Jones there. But then Arius has to be playing somewhere, and I don't, I don't know if they're trading him. I don't know what they're doing. So I, I, I have Arius at third base. I don't think it's a perfect fit, but he's playing somewhere if he's in the organization, and third base was the only landing spot I could arrive at. So let's move to the outfield, because I'm really excited to do that. Let's let's talk about the outfield. Let's talk about— Can I, can I predict what you're going to do? <laughs> yeah, you can go ahead and do that.
1: Here's what you have <laughs> Okay. You have Stephen Kwan in left, you have George Valera in center, and you have probably a free agent in right here.
0: Oh, this is so ridiculous. We've just changed our... The, I'll say Michael Conforto. The way that we uh, can record these, and it opened up this whole list of all these other sound effects that I now have access to, and... Uh, might have to go wild on there. All right, so what did you say, right field, Conforto?
1: Quan and left, Valera and center, Conforto in right
0: Wow, field. Nolan Jones, nowhere to be found. You're two-thirds of the way there. I have Nolan Jones as my platoon versus right in right field. I don't know who his partner would be. I mean, they have a number of other right-handed bats that maybe one of them emerge. But I have Quan and left, Valera in center, and I don't think that's the long-term answer there. But can he play there for the first couple of years of his career? I don't know. He played some there last year. We would find out. But as I'm putting this team together, it makes the most sense if Valera can play center field and Stephen Kwan in left field. I mean, that that was the the easiest prediction you've ever made, right? That I was going to have Kwan in left field.
1: Yeah. So Keith Law almost had him in his top 100 prospects. What a meteoric rise for him. <laughs> it's interesting I initially had Valera in center and I had Austin Meadows in left and that was going to be my, they traded Arias for this guy and I had Nolan Jones in right. The more I thought about it, talked to a couple people, did some reading. I don't know if Valera is going to stick in center. If he does, that is such an advantage because I do think, I think Miles Straw has value. I think you can get away with him if he's your third best outfielder. But... Right now you can. If you want a really good outfield, let him play part-time. Let him be a defensive replacement every game and a pinch runner all the time. And turn him loose that way. He can get plenty of playing time that way as your fourth outfielder, but really like three and a half. And so if you had Valera in center and someone who is established and good, whether it's Reynolds or Mullins or... Winker, or Meadows, or Conforto in left. And then right field, or either corner, it doesn't matter. And then the other corner can be where you put your best prospect, whether that's Quan Jones. I think we're all overlooking Richie Palacios a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I
0: struggled with what to, kn- to know what to do that with That
1: seems... They have a blank canvas here. And I've said this. It To me, it doesn't make sense to go sign... Another retread, as they tend to do every year, to try to fill the spot. They finally have an outfield prospect on the way who seems worth a damn in Valera. Keith Law had him at number 22 on his top prospects list. The guy just turned 21 years old. Um, He needs, I think, considerable time in the minors this year just because he's missed so much time with the pandemic and with injuries. But, I mean, you've got... I think the outfield is in a better spot than it has been just because it's the most obvious area to address. They've said they need to address it. So you can go make a trade. You can sign a free agent. And then you have enough intriguing prospects. Like, you've got time to let, whether it's Naylor or Jones, prove to you that they deserve to be in the lineup. And I think Kwan and Palacios will eventually get a shot. You've got enough time to, like, bide your time so you can put Valera where he makes the most sense eventually, right? Um, And I think for this team, it would be most beneficial if if you do have left and right field set, you've got worthy candidates to play there in two years, then maybe that encourages you more to play Valera in center.
0: Yeah, I'm with you and I don't think Valera will stick in center field, but I also know that if it makes sense offensively and he's at least capable, if he's not hurting you defensively in center field and it allows you to plug in someone else elsewhere in the outfield that makes you offensively that much better, and they're not terrible also defensively in the outfield, then it makes more sense to me to maximize the offense. At least we've seen this here in baseball too Mm -hmm. where teams are much more willing to put a non-center fielder out in center field as long as you've got some athleticism and an ability to catch everything that's hit to you, not saying that there's not tremendous value in someone like Miles Straw because there absolutely is. If if you're talking about the top end defensive center fielders, then yes, they make an absolute difference. But if we're talking about like a guy that's pretty good out there compared to a guy that's eh, like mediocre out there, I might live with the mediocre guy if the offense is worth it.
1: Yeah, I- Along those lines, I mean, I've seen some crazy shit. I saw a team <laughs> put Ben Gamble in center field, what? Jordan Luplo, Ahmed Rosario. Crazy. Yeah. So Valera's played a little center. I don't think that's crazy. And again, I, I do think there's a role for Miles Straw where he can still get three hundred and fifty plate appearances, four hundred plate appearances, and play in every single game. Start sometimes. I think he's a pretty he's got a pretty big platoon split too so you can pick and choose your spots with him at the plate and he can pinch run and he can be a defensive replacement every single game i mean like there's there's opportunity for him to be a valuable player but you know it's if it comes to that it's if you have worthy candidates to play in the corners and they're gonna need to make an addition somehow and then they're gonna need to one of these guys to rise to the surface Quan Palacios Jones.
0: Can I, can I read you something from Fangraphs at the start of the offseason? Because they put Quan over at Rotographs on the short list of hitters to watch. Of 275 hitters. You're
1: smiling as you read this. With
0: at least 800 plate appearances since the start of 2019, Quan boasts the following accolades He is one of just two hitters with more walks, that's 10.1%, than strikeouts, 9.3%. He has the highest ratio of walks to strikeouts. He has the lowest swinging strike rate, 3.2%, by more than one and a half percentage points. This, is, this also continues. That's not nothing. That's far from nothing. Cleveland loves stockpiling hitters that, like Quan, you know, who also led his level in swinging strike rate throughout the minors, Jose Ramirez. More importantly, Quan leveled up in 2021, just about doubling his isolated power, by hitting home runs six times more often than he did in his first full professional cup of tea at high A in 2019. His newfound power plus speed plus contact skills combined to make one of the minor league's best performances last year. Here's the question I have for you. Anyone that spends any time looking at his profile begins to champion his ability, but he gets overlooked. I mean, even myself, I overlooked him because you, you hear that he's having... Good minor league systems, but so did Kai Tom. And so what separates him from someone like Kai Tom? I mean, am I supposed to be excited? There are a number of of younger players that tear up the minor leagues but don't necessarily have a tremendous ceiling. And I wondered, is this a guy that's similar to that? But then you land on his page and you start to look at the swinging strike rates, the the raising power that leads you to believe he could be a double-digit home run guy in the major leagues, if not more, could be optimized more. Uh, he's, he's a capable walker, not going to walk through the roof, but again, he's doing it more than he's striking out. Why does this guy consistently fly under the radar, and why is he just now getting the attention of prospect evaluators? It's kind of kind of stunning, and maybe it says something about the way that we evaluate prospects.
1: Yeah, I think part of it is he's 24, so he's not young, and he just got to AAA at the end of last season. So it's not his fault. Pandemic played a big role in the, in all of this obviously, and I think that has maybe muddied the waters a little bit in terms of prospect evaluation. But he, he before this season, I mean, he was a nice player. Yes, walked more than he struck out. Um wasn't hitting for power at all. Wasn't a high average guy. He had 280 in 2019. And so the walks help. That on base percentage is really healthy, but there was no power. So the power changes everything because he hit for power last year and still walked more than he struck out. So that's what I think catches people's attention. I mean, look at the slash line last year 328, 407, 527. Yeah. That's really good. I'll
0: give you my vein but it was right limited. here. You just inject that in there right there. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs>
1: 77 games, 341 plate appearances. So it's tough. He's 24 and he's only had 26 games at AAA. So you like what you've seen and the numbers certainly catch your attention. But what's real? What can he do with 600 plate Mm -hmm. appearances? What can he do with a full season at AAA? What can he do in the major leagues? We don't know that. And he's one of the guys who I think it's really unfortunate how this offseason's unfolded because he hasn't been able to communicate with Cleveland's new hitting instructor. And he hasn't been able to use the facility in Goodyear because he's on the 40 man <laughs> roster. So what is a critical offseason for him where he could go into spring training competing for an opening day job. He's sort of fighting an uphill battle. Now
0: position plays a, a role in this. If he was a center fielder, the evaluations for him would be through the roof. He'd be a top 100 prospect, easy. But I think you know certain guys like Quan, they slip through the cracks because guys that play the middle infield and are athletic, they're always going to be valued more because they have more landing spots. If a guy isn't capable of playing shortstop, he could still bounce to second base. He could still go over to third base, maybe go to the outfield. There are more landing spots when you start higher on the defensive spectrum, and if you're capable of playing. Shortstop and providing any offensive value, it's a reason why Arias might have more projected value than a guy like Quan, despite the fact that if you look at their projections, Quan probably projects to be a better offensive player than Arias does. But that position matters. And for Quan, that's probably, you know, that's hurting him some because he's not a center fielder. He's going to be a corner outfielder. And when you're talking about guys that play the corner, first base, left field, right field, there aren't as many places for you to. Drop down the defensive spectrum, and typically you're looking for more power from that spot, which makes it very important that he now is hovering around a 200 ISO compared to where he was at in the past. If you're capable of, of driving it or uh, hitting 15 home runs and hitting 300, now you're your early career Michael Brantley. and that's perfectly fine with anybody here in Cleveland.
1: Yeah, just he, he hit for more power, but he didn't sacrifice anything. In fact, it seemed like he got even better. Hit lefties and righties well. He's a left-handed hitter. Um, There's a lot to like, we just need to see more of him. And I, I, I keep coming back to like, if he's not your guy, and I think it's asking a lot to just plug him in and say, even if he impresses you, spring training might be shortened, right? You might only get three weeks of games instead of five or six. And is that enough time for him to prove that he's your opening day left fielder and in there every day? Doubtful. That's a lot to ask, helpful.
0: especially if you still so have a Bradley Zimmer backup? or an, an Oscar Mercado on your 40 man roster. Well,
1: that's another thing. I don't understand why both of them are still here when straws your center fielder, but yeah. So, so what is, what's your option? And then what does Quan need to do to prove that he should be playing there every day? And then, you know, there's just so many pieces. There are way too many pieces to this puzzle. <laughs> Not all of them are going to fit. And what? you know, if Kwan does prove that this was 2021 was legit, and he's an everyday guy. Then you look at the lineup, and you you brought it up earlier. You know, all those those guys who make high contact, but maybe don't hit for much power. Like, can he fit in a lineup that also has Freeman and Straw? And maybe a catching position that doesn't hit for much power? Like, that's f- yeah. four-ninths of your lineup all of a sudden.
0: I mean, you can survive, but it just means everybody else has to be tremendous at everything else they do. you got to get on base a ton. You do have to hit for doubles and triples. I mean, some, maybe there's something to the ballparks that you play in in the American League Central, maybe it makes Miles Straw a great fit for being with Cleveland. I mean, even the the pitcher list had written this earlier this offseason. Miles Straw might be a great fit with Cleveland because progressive field is fair to hitters, and you can also create doubles and triples at that ballpark. But then you also go to Comerica Park, where you can hit doubles and triples left and right. Kansas City, same thing. Huge outfields where guys that make a lot of contact and spray it to all fields and have tons of speed can generate power without necessarily having to hit the ball over the fence. So maybe maybe there's something to that. And maybe maybe it's partially why Cleveland seems to appreciate these sorts of hitters now here recently. But you're right. You, I, I think it's tough to have an entire offense built that way with no ability to hit the ball over the fence, which thankfully we'll get to. Fran Mel Reyes would probably still be part of this team in 2024. 20, I would be shocked if he's not. And him, as your DH, clubbing 35 to 40 home runs, Makes Kind of makes everything else work around it. But finally, can we talk a little bit about Nolan Jones? Because did he not appear at all in your 2024 lineup? And what a huge fall that would be if that's the truth. And he's not playing any sort of role for this team a couple of years from now? A guy that was just your top prospect not long ago?
1: Yeah, so originally I had Meadows in left, Valera in center, Jones in right. And then after... Thinking about the defensive alignment more. I went Valera in left, straw in center. I still have Jones in right. I don't know I don't know what to do with him. I don't think the team knows what to do with him either. Um he's he's his star has faded quite a bit. I mean, he's not they the the Guardians had four top prospects, four top one hundred prospects in Keith Law's rankings. They had with with Kwan, a fifth guy who was just outside the top one hundred. They had five in another outlet, I think four or five in a third, and Jones was nowhere to be found, and he was the organization's top prospect for two years going into to this past season. So I don't know what to make of him. It's tough. I mean, he had this injury that also is going to maybe have him be a little bit behind going into the season. Tough to sort of get a clear picture on where he stands just because... He can't talk to the team about where he stands. So it's it's tough. I don't know what his ceiling is anymore. You mentioned in your scenario, you have him as a platoon corner outfielder. That might be what happens here. And I just, I wonder if, you know, in a perfect world, this team probably trades for an outfielder when the lockout ends or signs someone to a multi-year deal and Valera's a guy, and then you have Straw, or you have Quant. Like, I don't think you need Nolan Jones. There's not... He's not going to be the savior that I think a lot of people thought he was. If he's replacing Jose Ramirez at third base, maybe that boosts his value a little bit. Um, but as a platoon corner outfielder, yeah, I mean, that's a pretty disappointing outcome. I think he can be good in that role, because with how often he walks, with how athletic he is and there is a bunch of power in there. Yeah. He can be productive against right-handed pitching. I just
0: Like could he be Austin Meadows? I don't know. It's That seems like I mean what you described is Austin guess, Meadows. The guy that you probably only want to play against yeah, right-handed pitching that's when he's at his best. Just seems Yeah, I mean maybe that's his ceiling. I mean, it's just kind of fascinating because this is someone that we talked about having a a pretty sturdy floor many years ago that he's going to be a major leaguer, but it's just, you know, how good is he going to be? We all know. And the the outcomes range from anyone saying he could be as productive at third base as Chris Bryant to someone that is like, as we said, maybe only playing against right-handed pitching and playing a corner outfield spot. He is infinitely more valuable if he's capable of playing third base. And that's where he is in any sort of scenario. But I don't know. And with this team, I don't know. I don't, Jose Ramirez, who knows? Gabriel Arias, where's he fit? I don't know. Jose Tainan down the line? I don't know. Tyler Freeman? I don't know. Brian Rocchio? I don't know. Andre Semenes? I don't know. Owen Miller? I don't know. Jan? uh, Who am I leaving out? Uh, Yu Chang? I don't know. So, I mean, that's just kind of where we're at. I think that's
1: what makes this topic both fascinating and impossible because – this team has so many pieces. And we haven't even talked about pitching. I mean, this was this was just predict the lineup. But just on the position player side, there are so many possibilities. A lot of intriguing young players we don't know enough about. But not enough time to learn about them all. And we didn't learn enough in 2021. You know, I don't know what to make of Andre Jimenez. I feel like I know less about him now than I did a year ago. And... <laughs> he's not the only one who falls into that category. Like, I don't know. Are we just writing off Owen Miller? Cause he had a rough couple months in the majors.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's tough to say Do that we
1: really know. Like
0: he's a everyday regular.
1: Yeah. I just, I think you can take this a lot of directions. I think we both probably played it safe here. There's usually a lot more turnover than anyone realizes over this period of time, but this could go a number of directions. I mean, I don't know, like, if you had to, what, who would you say is, like, the one lock besides Fran Mel Reyes, maybe? Like, who, who would you, if you had to bet your house on one player being in the 2024 lineup, who would it be?
0: Besides Fran Mel Reyes. Mm-hmm. Steven Kwan. Seriously? No, probably not. Uh, I would say Valera. Me too. And isn't that insane? The guy just turned 21. (laughs) Yeah,
1: He's barely played a double A. a, And that's our, that's what we're betting our house on. There's a wide range of
0: outcomes there for a 21 year old. (laughs) There is certainly that. And he could be,
1: who's to say he's he's not involved in, in trade conversations. That's
0: true. That's very true. The one thing that also I think needs to be uh, accented here is the way teams look at positions and starting spots is far different than, Many years ago, when we'd be playing, you know, World Series baseball '98 and memorizing the lineups, guys don't necessarily have like everyday spots playing one position. It's different now. You and you were talking about it kind of with Miles Straw. He could play a role where maybe he's not listed first at any position on the depth chart, but he's playing as much as like Raj did in 2016 or Austin Jackson did in 2017. Uh, still finding spots where late in games they matter. Uh, starting for in, in this scenario starting one day for Nolan Jones starting another day for Stephen Quantz and keeping everybody fresh i think Owen Miller fits perfectly and i keep making this connection between him and and Chris Taylor not so much in outcomes but how they can be used you know Chris Taylor is valuable and maybe adds another win to his win his war total because he can play all of these different positions and be capable at all of them If Owen Miller could find a way to make his way to the outfield, then he's infinitely more valuable to a team like this where you can plug him in anywhere. And any given day, he could be playing any one spot. And he's not listed as the starting second baseman or third baseman or shortstop or any of these spots. But four of the seven days a week, he's in the starting lineup somehow. So I think there are ways that, whether it's him, whether it's Palacios, other guys can make their way into being impactful pieces. Two three years down the line, that don't really reflect in if you're just putting out what the depth chart's going to look like at the start of that season.
1: That's fine, but you can't have an entire roster full of those guys. <laughs> yeah. And until we until we see some some people establish themselves as everyday players, it feels like that's what they have.
0: Yeah, very true. They, somebody's got to pop, right? It's, it's nice to have a bunch of prospects that come up and look close to average, but. That only works if you have a Jose Ramirez, a Francisco Lindor, a Shane Bieber on the pitching side that raise the floor of everybody else, right? Then you can live with average at many other spots. It's only working if you have that star somewhere.
1: Yeah, and and we haven't even touched on the fact that they could trade pitching to upgrade the outfield. Um, There's a a lot they can do. I've mentioned this and I've been writing it, but the 40-man roster is so far from a finished product right now and it's sort of this question will probably become easier to answer in whenever the lockout ends a few weeks after that because I, I they're they have 11 starting pitchers and 6 relievers. They have 14 infielders. They have 14 players on the 40-man roster who have never stepped foot on a big league field. And they have a bunch more who have barely stepped foot on a big league field. Like this roster is it needs work. They've they've positioned themselves to where they have to to make some trades and they have to make some moves because you're going to need a backup catcher, right? Like Austin hedges, even if it's Sandy Leon, who's your backup catcher, which would be a disaster. You still have to add him to the 40 man roster. So that's going to cost someone a job. You've got to, you're going to add an outfielder at some point, some way. Yep. That's going to cost someone a job. You have to add a reliever or two. That's going to cost some jobs. So this, we're going to learn more about how they value, Certain players and and that should clear it up. But you just think about you know, if they traded Jose Ramirez, but then they traded a starting pitcher at some point to to address third base or the outfield or um there's a lot of different directions they can go. So while we maybe went the safe route here in, in our predictions, this thing could look totally different. Maybe yeah. we, we might go two for nine <laughs> in our
0: guesses. I mean it's completely different than what should they do or what we would do in the chair. Yeah, I, mm-hmm. I would have Conforto somewhere in this. I think Conforto should be on this team. Uh, by the end of, whenever this season starts, I think Michael Conforto should be in your outfield, and there's no reason why he can't be. Sign Jose Ramirez, make that happen. Again, these are different differences from what we think will happen and what they should happen, or what we think should happen. So that's uh, it's a fun exercise because I think, to again bring this full circle, I think it shows that while well, some teams you might struggle to do this two, three years from now and say... <laughs> This, this looks kind of, kind of disastrous. I'm not saying this is the best outcome, but if this is their team in two years, and any of these guys step forward the way that we think that they can, I don't think they're a bad team by any stretch of the imagination.
1: They're in that spot where typically, typically, they given the the age range of their roster and the state of their farm system, where their elite prospects are probably a year away. They're in that sweet spot where this is like this is kind of like where the Tigers were last year. The difference is that this team hasn't been rebuilding for 5 or 6 years. So they also have established players yeah. and while their roster is young, they all have experience. I mean, this is a rotation that everybody in the rotation is 24 to 26, 27 years old yet they've pitched in the majors for a couple of years. So it's a weird spot and The future is bright. It's just, can you make the right decisions? Can you trade the right infield prospect for the right established outfielder? Can you evaluate properly? Can you get better hitting instruction? Can you get more out of these hitting, these young hitters? Those are the questions that are going to determine whether a bright future translates into anything worth talking about.
0: Well, I'm looking forward to it, because we got nothing else to do than to look to the future, because we have nothing in the present.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's Will the lockout end by 2024?
0: Uh, I don't know. Will there be a sport to even consider at that point? Again, I don't know. Well, it's been a lot of fun hanging out with you guys today. Appreciate you joining us here at Apple Podcasts, Google Stitcher, and Spotify. And of course, you can find us at Patreon, patreon.com slash Godcast, where we'll be back later this week for some more fun. For Zach Meisel, I'm TJ Zuppi. Have a great week, everybody, and we'll see you soon.